Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lant. I'm your host, James Lampion, and my guest today is a security company owner, a former law enforcement officer, Mr. Rodney Hollis. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Um, I wanted to talk, first of all, I wanted to talk about, um, you did 34 years of law enforcement. Was that what you aspired to be growing up? Um, yes, I guess I think so. My, um, I have a, I have a, um, a uh, cousin who is a, who is a detective and a retired detective. I was a U.S. Capitol policeman. Uh, I was a, I was a military policeman in the military. And, and of course I was detective with the Metropolitan Police Department. Wow. So you, so how long were you in the military? I didn't know you were in the military. I was in the military for three years. I was um, stationed in uh, Fort Valley, Kansas, and and then I was and I ended my career in Panama. Okay, but well, thank you for your service. Thank you. Now I know in those thirty-four years in D.C., you saw a lot of things. Um, how difficult was it not to bring it home? Very difficult. It was. It was very difficult to separate work from my family, and. Um, what I, what I wanted to do was to, whatever happened at work, I, I left it there. And a lot of people don't know, a lot of people may, may do know, a lot of police officers, sometimes they, they drink. And I'm not a drinker. Mm-hmm. I'm not a drinker, but I'm, but I'm very athletic. So my way of, of escaping everything was playing sports, basketball, tennis, football, basketball. That was my way of um, escaping the everyday life of a detective in the streets of DC, seeing bodies, people getting robbed, people being shot. Um, that was the way of life. So would you play like within the community? Like you had a set of friends you played with? Cause I'm sure that's important. Um, a mixture, there was a mixture. I have, I have, I have um, I played basketball with some of my police friends. I played basketball with some of my friends that I grew up with and if I play with my police friends, we never talk about work. We just mm. play. Um, when the day was over, we we'll see each other. We always end the day by saying, be safe. Wow. We always end our day by saying, be safe. Because, you know, you might know also, D.C. was, you know, D.C. was rough. And, yeah. and all, of us, all of us knew how rough it could be. So we always ended our day, whatever, whatever we did, be safe. And we go home. Yeah, because you actually were, you. It, I, I'm 34 years, you probably were, not probably you were, you were in the height of the crack era. It, very much. In the, in the 80s and 90s, um, crack was, crack, cocaine was just making this, making this way into the city. And um, there was, there was a different way how I, I handled that also. When I came on the police department, I stayed uptown uptown like Howard University up in that area because I, I was I was born and raised in the southeast mm-hmm. so I never wanted to see none of my friends that I was that I grew up with being the victim of the crack cocaine era so I didn't know anybody uptown so it was okay I handled it better that way because I didn't know these people and as my wow. as my career was ending then I started getting transferred to get it closer to home wow so so with being transferred you were starting to see, recognize people that you knew that, that fell victim to the cracker? Well, by that time, by that time, it was it was just about over. What I wanted to do was protect my family and friends. 
during that time, police officer had a negative, um, um, a negative image. A lot of things was going on with police officers. Uh, you know, like um, police officer was abusing their authority, and I just wanted to make sure that I stayed close to the home to protect my family and my friends, to make sure they was not become a victim of a lot of police brutality, stuff like that. It's funny you should say that. So what were some of the, you said you were protecting them. What were some of the means, what were some of the measures you would take to protect them? Well, I, if if I was, if I was in 7D, I ended my career in the 7th District in, in Southeast. And most of my family and friends was in Southeast. And don't you have to remember too, we had a Trayvon, uh, Trayvon, um, I think the young man got shot by a police officer in, in, in Kansas City, Missouri. That stuff was coming up. We had another shooting down in Florida in which another um, uh, security guard shot uh, an unarmed black man. Mm -hmm. So by me, by me being in 7th in District and most of my friends and family was in 7th District, I can monitor my radio. I can make sure that I can get the first notice of anything happening to a family or friend. Or even, the, even if the name didn't come up, the location was very important to me and I will respond. Wow! Just to, just to make sure things went up and up, no hanky panky, no, no um, no stuff that was that was being done that shouldn't have been done. You, because you mentioned you mentioned um, you mentioned that the image of the police officer back then. I mean, do you think it's actually gotten any better? The image, the image, the image, the image has gotten better, as you may know now. Police officers are, are wearing these body cameras. It's, it's a little camera that's, that's that installed on a police officer right in his middle of his chest. And those cameras are, are there for a reason, to protect the officers for falsely being claimed or being falsely accused of being something or doing something he didn't do, and also protect the citizen from, okay. from police officer abusing their authority. So it was a two-way sword. Yeah. So you, so you leveraged your uh, law enforcement career and then you mm -hmm. decided to uh, start your own company. What kind of company did you just decide to build to start? Well, Holland Security Consultant LLC is a company that is that specializes in safety protocol. You know, safety protocols such as um, active shooting training. Uh, and what my company does is go to churches, schools, government buildings, and teach and, and teach the, um, the the employees or the or the person what to do if an active shooting comes into their building and, and start shooting. So that's what I, that's what I originally started off doing. Um, at that time, it, it was in high demand. And I, and I didn't want to let that training go away. MPD spent a lot of money on us for this training. And it was no sense me going into waste. So that's why I started focus on active shooting training and stuff like that. Then, it, then of course, they brought it out to other things like um, elderly abuse, you know, my company in, involves in that. And um, that's what I wanted to do. And they had to do with safety. Um, um, people, houses were being burglarized. I come in there to apartment complexes. I come in there and I assist them in, in, in how they can keep their, their tenants safe. Um, a lot of apartment buildings have um, security. My job is to sit on it when, when they use the apartment building make these decisions on selecting a security company. My job is to make sure that these security company focus on what their job is supposed to do. And that's so you, so you acted as like a, so you acted more like a consultant, also. Yes, yes, sir. Yeah. 
Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then I know we briefly mentioned it. Um, we discussed it offline, but you talked about a, a pamphlet that you have that instructs instructs black men how to deal with the police, how to interact with them. I wanted you to go more in depth in, with that. The, the brochure I um, I had published and I wrote myself is called "Drive Safe, Stop Safe: Protecting Your Rights and Your Life During a Traffic Stop." As you might know, James, over the years, police officers have been been shooting unarmed black men and men of color at an alarming rate. Yeah. Um, it's it it has gotten better, but a lot of these shootings has 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 not been recorded or even televised that it's happening all over the country. So what what I wanted to do was was to make sure that the playing field is even. What I mean by the playing field, a police officer goes to the academy for seven months. Seven months. And during those seven months, they teach us criminal law, laws of arrest, constitutional law. So we just like little miniature attorneys. So, and I felt like publishing this brochure would help our African-American men and men of color or what they need to do. When I say even the playing field, know your rights. We have to know our rights. We need to know what we can and cannot do. We need to know what is expected from a police officer when he pulled you over. We need to know that what you do and consequently in your life. In my brochure, we talk about stuff like don't become confrontational. If the police officer, if you believe the police officers violated your rights, file a complaint. And the most important part about filing a complaint, James, you have to follow up. Don't just file a complaint and just leave it alone. Because one way or the other, your complaint, your complaint might be the final straw to get this officer off the street before he kills someone. Wow. And the brochure, you know, it's, it's, it's broken down into, um, I, even, I, I even had, in my brochure, I have an outline. It broken down to eight, eight different categories. And, and it, it broken down to like, obey the police officer's instructions. If he tell you to do this and do that, obey what he asks you to do. Number three, the driver is responsible for everyone in the car. Everyone. Now, why is that? I, I hate to interrupt you, but why is that? Because the driver, don't forget, when he gets pulled over by the police officer, he didn't pull over the passenger. The police officer pulled, pulled that vehicle over because the driver did something that was illegal. So let's say, okay, because I just want to elaborate more on the situation because I find sure. it interesting because you say the driver's responsible. Let's say... Let's say it's a scenario where the driver is a young is a young adult, and the person on the passenger side is is older. You're like let's let's say it's two men, two men in the pad, two black men in the seat. You know what? I only want to use color. Two two men in the seat. The the driver happens to be early twenty. The the passengers mid to early thirties. That. The driver would still be responsible. Yes, don't forget. Why? Just like I mentioned, just because I mentioned, just just how I mentioned earlier, the vehicle was pulled over because of the driver. The driver is the one behind the wheel. Okay. 
not the passenger, the passenger could be 60 years old. That vehicle was pulled over or stopped because the driver had done something that was illegal. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So let me let's back up a little bit because this, I mean, we we both know this is a this is a hot issue, especially in our community. So let me ask you this. You being a you being in law enforcement for 34 years. What do you what do, what are the police ex, what are the expectations when they when they approach the vehicle? Because I don't even know if that's discussed now. You you you've been on the inside. So what is what would your expectations be? approaching the vehicle? Well, the expectation falls into two categories. Number one, there's two there's two calls that police officers are mostly concerned about when he or she puts on his uniform. The first call that most police officers are shot and killed is during a domestic dispute. Husband and wife, son and son and father, daughter, mother fighting. Police officer come to the come to the door before he can ring the doorbell. He is shot and killed. Twenty percent of police officers are shot and killed during domestic dispute. The other, the flip side of it is, when a police officer conducts a traffic stop, sixty-three percent of police officers are killed. James, sixty-three percent. So when a police officer approaches these vehicles. He or she already know the odds are against him or her. That he or she will return back to his car standing up. Not lying down, but standing up. So that's why police officers are always on edge. That's why police officers take aggressive approach when they do a traffic stop. Okay. <laughs> See, okay, because I'm not, let me be clear. I'm not a police. So I mm-hmm. and, and I understand the dangers that come with that job. So by no means am I minimizing that. But doesn't it seem like if you come to the car with a hostile attitude, doesn't it seem like that's already going to make the, the situation turn, escalate, that it probably didn't need to escalate to? No, I, I, it's not a, you make it sound like the police officer comes there with an attitude. The police officer has a job to do. He doesn't necessarily come, he doesn't approach a vehicle with an attitude knowing that his chances are that, that he's going to get shot or killed. He doesn't, he doesn't come to that with that attitude. He comes in there. So what, what you have to realize is this, the driver, just suppose you're the driver and you just happen just to rob someone 10 minutes ago before you get pulled over by the police. The driver think that the police officer knows that. The driver think that the police officer know that I just robbed somebody 10 minutes ago, and that's why he's pulling me over. The police okay. officer has no idea what he has done. He pulled him over because he made a right turn in the left lane. That was the reason why he pulled him over. And then the police officer approached the vehicle. Boom. Shot. Because the driver think and believes that the police officer knew he did something bad 10 minutes ago earlier well what about but what about that what about the situations where it's just a routine stop it's just a normal citizen it's a routine stop and the driver because remember you said you said earlier in the conversation that we need to know our rights so do we have the right to ask the police why are we being pulled over yes you do 
So once, so a lot of times we've seen that escalate into something that it didn't need to happen, correct? Yeah, yeah. Yes, so, but, mm-hmm. so how do so that's what I'm saying. It's it's not always just a citizen, because again, I'm not gonna act like that it's it's all the police, because sometimes the driver may escalate the situation. But yes. we, we can't ignore that sometimes the police take an aggressive approach when they approach these vehicles. Well, your police officer should never be taking the attitude of, of being the aggressor. That's number one. Number two, there's no such thing as a routine um, a routine stop. Wait a minute, back it up. There's no such thing as a routine stop? There's no such thing as a routine stop because a routine stop can escalate what you consider the routine stop. Just a traffic stop can escalate real fast, James. I've been doing it for 34 years, and a, a traffic stop can go, go can go quickly. A traffic stop can go bad very quickly, very fast. So a routine stop can escalate to a point where shooting is involved. It's a scuffle between a guy and the driver. See, our public think and believe that they know more than what the Constitution law stands for or rights. Take for instance, some of our some of our driver believes that when officers give you instruction to exit the vehicle, I, and I've heard I heard it plenty of time, they will say, "I know my rights. I don't have to get out the car." Well, do they? Let's stop. Do they have to get out the car? Yes, because it's a lawful order, and not only is a lawful order, James, it's written in the Constitution law. It's written by the Supreme Court. Wrote an order, and in my brochure. I wrote it down so anyone can go to that website and look it up for themselves. If a police officer asks you to exit your vehicle, you must exit your vehicle. It's a Supreme Court order that says it. Wow, I didn't know that. And, and, a, lot of, and a lot of people don't know that. And when they say, and, and, I, and you probably heard it yourself, James, I know my rights, I don't have to get out the car. You're wrong. You do have to get out the car. The police officer asks you to get out. So, okay, so what would necessitate a police officer asking you to get out your vehicle? That's something important. Good question. Very good question, James. And the answer to that is the police officer sees something, what we call plain view. Plain view is um, he sees a weapon, illegal substance that he doesn't have to look to see it is in plain view for him to see, such as a gun is, you can see the butt of a weapon underneath his seat. So to keep the officer safe, he asked you to get out the car to separate you from that weapon that's underneath that seat. So he asked you to get out the car so he can grab that gun that he sees underneath the seat. Okay. So let's let me let me ask you this scenario because I I want my listeners to know everything possible. Yes, sir. That's 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 the goal I'm trying to reach. Yes, sir. So let's say I'm in it. Let's say I get pulled over. There's no weapon in my car. There's nothing in my car, but this po- But according to what you said, this police could ask me to get out my car, be- and I really don't have a right to say no because he can he can easily say, "Well, I thought I saw a weapon, and I asked him to get out of his car." Right? Yes, and but you have to realize too, that James, don't forget the reason. The reason for, for this stop to even occur 
is because the driver initiated something that he that the officer believed was illegal. This stop was initially uh, uh, initiated because the officer thought or believed that the driver did something illegal or the vehicle fit a description of a robbery that's, that's occurred 30 minutes ago, 10 minutes ago. And he stopped the vehicle. And we can back it up even further than that. Again, if you believe as a driver didn't do anything wrong, I honestly, seriously recommend do not become confrontational. Okay. Just foul. If you believe you done, if you believe you done nothing wrong, he didn't answer your questions. He didn't tell you why he stopped. He didn't tell you anything. Because the first thing the police officer should do to Jane when he first pulled you over, that we are taught in the academy. Say, Mr. Lampkin, my name is Officer So and So, So and So. I stop you because of this, this, this. May I have your driver license, registration, and proof of insurance? Okay. Once all those items are given to him, the police officer will not turn his back on you, James. He should back up to back to his vehicle and call this stuff in. Call it to the dispatcher. Dispatcher, I stopped the car on 3800 block or so and so, so and street. It's occupied. One time, which is your driver. Tag number is so-and-so, so-and-so. His name is James Lampkin. He lives at so-and-so, so-and-so, waiting for a feedback. He'll give him James Lampkin lived at so-and-so, so-and-so. He's no, no record, no warrant. He's come back to your car and give you back your driver's license, registration, and your proof and insurance. But let me tell you what police officers do, James. This is what they do also. Mr. Lampkin... You're free to go. In the split second, James, this is what they do. By the way, can I search your vehicle? Can I look in your glove compartment? Can I look in your trunk? Can I look in anywhere? James, your answer will always be, tell your listeners, their name, their answer will always be, no. Okay. Jay-Z, Jay-Z even had a song about it. You don't need a warrant for that. Right. <laughs> you feel me, James? You don't need a warrant for that. If you want to go in my glove compartment, you don't need a warrant for that. Can I check your trunk? You're going to need a warrant for that. The answer, James, will always be no. So, let me, but so, okay. We know the Jay-Z song. We know mm-hmm. all that. But what happened? Now, I know you can't really answer these questions, but I think it's fair to say mm-hmm. that we both know that in that scenario, a person has said no and that police officer has got upset because that person knew their right and may escalate the situation. Mm-hmm. So I think that more than anything is the issue where the police escalate situations that don't need to be escalated. Yes. In 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 the in the I mean I think we both agree because if that wasn't the case, you wouldn't even need to do this pamphlet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but Jane, just like I talked to you early in our in our conversation, we don't want to become confrontational. We don't want to give this officer no reason to shoot our young man. Mm-hmm. Even if he done, Jane, suppose he find two kilos of uh, a kilo of anything in your glove compartment. Okay, you're gonna be arrested, but when you go to court, James. Nine times, I, I don't want to say nine times out of ten, there's a good chance the evidence will be thrown out. 
See, right. Jane, because you told this officer, no. He could okay. not search your glove compartment. He could not search your trunk. Another good thing for your listeners to understand, James, when he got that body camera on their chest, when they see that red light on, it's being recorded. Okay. Everything is said and being done is being recorded. If you don't see that light on and you think this thing is escalating, just say to the officer, um, officer, are we recording this? Because you don't see that red light on, James, it's not being recorded. Okay. But to answer your question again, the illegal, the kilo that was found in the car, you go to court. His body camera was on. And it says, it clearly said, no, I'm not, I don't want you to, to search my car. The evidence is going to be thrown out. Because it so, is clearly, it, it's clearly, it's, it's, it's clearly that you said to that officer, the answer is no, you could not search my car, my glove compartment, underneath my seat, anywhere. Now, what gives them probable cause to search your vehicle? The prob- probable cause is, comes in as, in many ways. The first thing, James, let's go back again. The first reason why I stop you because you did something wrong or you fit the description of something. That's the purpose of the police officer stop you from the beginning. That's your okay. probable cause right there. Oh, hold on, man. That's <laughs> it is so broad. It is, it is, it is broad. It is a it's a broad statement, and they use it all the time. So it, so that's what I'm saying. Look at look now, now look at how you just explained that for a good three yeah. minutes. How mm-hmm. how how eloquent you were, how clear you were. But look look at the final statement you just made with probable cause. It's so broad. And that's the thing. We fall victim to probable cause too much. Because but there's Jane, no... <laughs> and, and you're right. But remember what I said earlier. Let's even the playing field. We have to know our rights. These guys, us, myself, my fellow blue men in, men in blue, we go to the academy this long. This long. Jane, they even teach us how to testify. They wow. teach us. And, and Jane, I'll tell you something this. Anytime you see a shooting that a police officer is involved in and the police officer attorney is present, the first thing that police officer attorney is going to say to the public when in front of 100,000 mics, my client, which is the police officer, felt his life was in danger. You ever heard that before? Unfortunately. And James, they teach us that in the academy. There's three ways how you three three different ways the police officer would discharge his gun or his weapon. First, to protect himself. Second, to protect his partner. The third is to protect the public. Those are the reasons why a police officer discharge his weapon or shoot his gun. And let's get back to the first one. To protect himself. This officer feared he was in he was in this officer felt he was in fear of his life. He shot. You have seen videos, or you may have heard videos, that police officers have shot men in the back. We are not trained to shoot people in the back. Yeah. Your the threat has gone away from you, Jane. Not coming towards you. He or she is running away from you. There's no reason to shoot a person in the back. We have videos on it. It happened. In, I think it happened in Georgia. Some, some, some South state. Carolina. South Carolina. That this gentleman was shot in the back. That officer should have been convicted. Well, he was. He was. 
Yeah, okay, that's right. He was. He he should have been convicted because he was running away from the officer, not toward him. He was running away. But it's funny you mentioned that scenario. You know what's scary about that? What's that? Imagine if there was no video. The only reason there was video is because a guy happened to randomly shoot him. But you still got to explain why there's three bullet holes in in, in, in somebody's back. When there was a video. We we talking about South Carolina. Good luck with that. I, mean, well, I, I just think I think, <laughs> and you're right. I, I think it wasn't for that gentleman who was happened to be a a, a good Sumerian and, and and having a uh, a video camera uh, video and the police officer interacting with this gentleman. He was unfortunately he was shot and killed. But yeah. I know we, you know, I know we jumping all over the place. But these are the things that we really, really need to share with our young men. Most of these shootings occur between the age of 18 and 31. Okay. The police officers are, are shooting our young men at that, at that alarming rate. And this brochure is about educating our young men. Make sure they know their rights. Make sure they know what they can and cannot do. And again, they know what to expect from a police officer. And I say it a hundred times, do not become confrontational. File a complaint against that police officer and go th- and follow through with it follow through with it now on when i when i go teach these these uh um my seminars with these with these young people i i come with me i come with me what a metropolitan police complaint form looks like i pass it around to my to to, to my audience and let them know this is what it looks like Okay. I can't tell you what I can't tell you what it looked like in Maryland. I can't tell you what it looked like in Virginia, but I can definitely tell you what a complaint form looks like in DC. And I and I pass it around. This is what it looks like. And before you leave that office, that that police station, you make sure you have the police officer supervisor name before you leave. Okay. Because the first thing they'll tell you, um, you didn't give it to me, or do you know who you gave it to? I don't know who I gave it to. No, 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 no. You make sure you get that police officer name, that sergeant, that supervisor name, and he should give you his email address. Okay. Those those are the kind of things that it goes right back to what I was saying to about we have to know our rights. We have to know what we can and cannot do. And like I said, the brochure is only the brochure is only twelve pages long. I did that by design. Keep our keep our audience interest. Okay. I'm going to close with this because the information you've given is very helpful. Actually, it's two things. Um, one, how do we, how do we even get the brochure? Normally, normally what I do, James, I, I normally go, if, if they go to my website, www.hollandsecurityconsultant.com, they can, they can uh, reach me there, they can reach me by my cell phone number, or they reach me by my office number. And they would normally you normally you get the brochure when you hired me to come to your organization, your school, um, your development in your home Some people have the big big development, have these gated communities, and I come to their uh their little rec rooms and I and I and I talk to them. Everyone gets a copy of the brochure. Everyone. I don't care how many numbers you have. Once you tell me how many people are gonna be there, I come up with the number with the number of brochure that is needed. And not only that, James, everyone gets a 10% discount 
Because like in D.C., I don't know what it is in Maryland. I can, I can only speak highly on D.C. Um, in D.C., when, we, when I was coming up, our parents taught us how to drive. You can't do that no more. Now you need a professional uh, driving education person to teach our young people how to drive. So um, I give all, all my participants a certificate for my company, and they get a 10% discount from the driver's education uh, classes if they decide to get the driver's license, 10% discount. So, um, anyway, again, they can go to my website, www.harlandsecurityconsultant.com. They can go there, or they can call me on my cell phone, 202-491-1035. Normally, my sessions are at least 90 minutes long. Because, James, it's a, it's, a, it's a conversation worth having, and I, and I get a lot of feedback from my audience asking a lot of questions. Male, female, parents, and even our young drivers. And another question before I forget, because I'm kind of doubling back, but I, I just want to make sure we're clear. How long does that that complaint process take typically? Complaint a complaint talk a complaint process should at least take at least five days. You should you should call you should call back that sergeant who you got this telephone numbers from, mm -hmm. and his tele and his email and his email address. Call back within three to three to five days, and you want to find out what's the um, what's the status. Okay. And and if and if you and if you feel you're not being satisfied, or this police officer may be pulling your chain, go above the next person. Normally, the rank structure is sergeant. The next person that you need to talk to would be a lieutenant. The next person you'll talk to would be a captain. Okay. And if you feel that none of these people are fulfilling your um, your thoughts or your or, or or your complaint, keep going up the ladder until it is heard. Okay. Well, again, I wanted to thank you, Mr. Hollis, for your time. Um, this conversation was really helpful for myself, and I'm sure it'll be helpful for a lot of listeners. And again, I want you to say your website in closing so we so they're clear on how to contact you. www.hollandconsultant.com And thank you. Um, again, I want to thank you for taking the time to do this. Um, I know you're a busy man, and I really appreciate you carving up the time to do this. Thank you for having me. And I want to thank those who took the time to listen, and you all have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Jane. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. No problem. All right.